0: It's time for the Rose Chat Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the world's most beloved flower, the rose. Join award-winning gardeners Chris Van Cleef and Teresa Byington as they chat with rose lovers and experts from around the globe. With each episode, you'll gain valuable knowledge and insights to achieve the rose garden you've always dreamed of. Listen now as we explore the world of roses. Try Haven Brand Soil Conditioners, Providing generations of gardeners with a truly all-natural alternative to chemical fertilizers with their line of composted manure and alfalfa teas. Easy to brew and use on all indoor and outdoor plants. Find them online at manuretea.com.
1: Hey friends, today I have the pleasure of chatting with Tom Carruth, an award-winning rose hybridizer and the curator of the amazing Huntington Rose Gardens in San Marino, California. Hey Tom, welcome to Rose Chat.
2: Hey, Teresa, how are you today?
1: I'm great. It's so good to talk to you. It's been a while.
2: It has been a while. Too long.
1: It has. It has. Everything, every date that I come up with, I have to add a couple of years to it because we sort of lost two years there with COVID.
2: Yes, we did.
1: So those those dates, they're getting longer. They're getting longer. We'll have to do something about that.
2: Tom, For some let's... reason, I'm not getting younger, though. I, I understand. Uh...
1: <laughs> yes. yes, good point, good point. I, I agree with you there. So today, Tom, I'm going to start out with a bit of the history of the Huntington Rose Garden.
2: Okay. Actually, Mr. Huntington bought this property in 1903, and it was a working California ranch. It had citrus and avocados and guavas in production, and he fell in love with California when the rest of his family weren't particularly enamored by it. <laughs> But uh, he set about to build a home and a library because he was a great collector of artwork and books and fortunately for us, plants. He particularly enjoyed the cactus and succulents and the palm trees. So our Mm -hmm. desert garden is the largest outdoor collection of cactus and succulents in the world.
1: Wow.
2: And our palm trees. Palm Garden is about seventh largest in the world. Mrs. Huntington really loved roses and camellias. So the Rose Garden was established or first planted in 1908. And it was a cutting garden for Mrs. Huntington. She was (laughs) relatively nearsighted, but she loved big bouquets in the house. So records show that as many as 9,000 flowers were cut out of the Rose Garden each year just to make these gorgeous bouquets in her house. So our rose garden is over 100 years old, and it transformed through time. After they passed in the 20s, the garden kind of became a standard public garden, a bit of a display, a bit of a test garden. But it was the curator in the 70s that decided the rose garden should be a collection, just as the desert garden is a collection. Mm -hmm. And he set about to replant the garden and to especially represent the history of the rose Now, over time, that planting's gotten bastardized a little bit. But we still have some sections of the garden, like we have the mid-century section where there are roses from the 10s and 20s into the 40s and 50s. We have the china and the tea section, which is an important part of the rose history. So these were roses that came over on the tea ships during the spice trade in the 1700s or their recent hybrids. It's always interesting for people to see. Then we have some European once bloomers nearby as well. Our garden is unusual because we have over 1,300 varieties. Oh, my
1: goodness.
2: And that's been one of my goals is to be able to preserve some of these varieties that are no longer in commerce, especially. And my special emphasis is to preserve roses that were important genetic contributors to the rose of today as well. So each year I'm, I'm finding some new things to come upon, some from private collectors, some from other public gardens. And when I started over 10 years ago, the uh, Rose Garden had about 1,100 varieties. So we've built up quite a bit mm-hmm. that. And there's still space for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm able to fit it in pretty well by only adding one bed so far. I've known the yeah. Rose Garden for years. I mean, I've been a volunteer at the Huntington since 1978. Wow! So I've watched it go through all sorts of different times—economic times that were tough, uh, labor times that were tough—and I always felt like it it could be much better than it was. So when I left Weeks, part of my impetus of coming here was the news that an estate had just donated the Huntington a hundred billion dollars specifically for the upgrade of the gardens.
1: Whoa! Good timing. Yes. Good timing. Now I visited the Huntington right after you came as curator. So when I come back, what changes am am I going to see?
2: Well, we've done a lot of renovations in the Rose Garden, uh, like replacing the trellises, uh, restoration of the full wall arbors. We've uh, put in a much more efficient and useful irrigation system, because when I got here, about 70% of the Rose Garden was watered manually.
0: Mm,
2: my and now we're at 95% automatic, and we're using a lot less water as a result. Uh, we began to work to upgrade the soil, and uh, did a soil test to discover that our soil was 97% compacted. (laughs) So the moment we laid down some gypsum, you could see the roses almost jump as though they could (laughs) breathe again.
1: Goodness.
2: When I got here too, there were a lot of varieties that were not in good shape, and I knew we couldn't replace them. So I negotiated with my old employer, Weeks Roses, and we sent them some propagating material, and they Mm -hmm. budded – A few plants in the field and then return to us nice, stocky, budded plants, you know, after a year and a half in the field. Now, this is a very special favor. You can't just do this (laughs) and say, I need this. Um, But I I knew the right legs to twist. Um, And we have now rescued, I call it our Rose Rescue effort, and we've now rescued over 400 varieties. Whoa.
1: What are some of the varieties?
2: Uh one one is like the doctor, uh, and that has become quite rare now. Uh Rocky, the climber from, from Armstrong Garden or Armstrong Nurseries was down to this one little stem. Wow. And now it's now it's clambering up a twelve foot trellis and looking quite beautiful. Uh Mission Bells was an old time All America winner. And then some from the early century nineteen tens and twenties, we rebutted those. Uh, La Jolla, mm. a uh, so I mean it, it. It goes on and on, and, and people really love the historical factor that we give yes. the roses by just having the dates on the labels. So mm-hmm. our our dates of introduction range anywhere from fifteen, thirteen, and probably earlier, but we just don't know the date for sure, up to two thousand twenty-three.
1: It's an absolutely beautiful garden. You sent me recent pictures. It's just amazing. And there's roses and then there's plantings of roses with other flowers and there's mm-hmm. statuary. I mean, it's just amazing.
2: It really captures the public attention and and it draws a lot of people in. We, they start calling us in February saying, "When when are the roses going to be in flower?"
1: And when are they in flower?
2: Well, usually for our our climate, uh, tax day is a pretty good bet. And it's a much nicer thing to remember on April 15th (laughs) than your taxes.
1: It sure is. So do you actually have a dormant season or you just cut them back? Um, You know, in
2: our mild climate here, roses do not go dormant. They'll slow down in their bloom cycle beginning about mid-December. Uh, but we prune them down in January just to keep them in balance and to keep them help, healthy and to keep the air circulation coming through the plants. And But it takes us about four weeks to prune this garden because we have over 2,500 plants. Wow. And we rely a lot on our volunteers. So our volunteers come and help us prune, as well as Deadhead. I have about 44 volunteers in the Rose Garden alone. And this Was- time of year, we refer to them as our Grateful Deadheaders.
1: Oh. Sure, you do now was was any of this work impacted by covid
2: Fortunately, we were considered uh, what is the word I'm thinking of essential yes, gardeners were essential, so we came in and tended the garden uh even though we, we were closed for a period of about four months mm-hmm. uh, and sadly, that was a spring bloom of those four months. Wow. Um eventually we could get volunteers in on a limited basis. That was the scariest part, was suddenly we were in this huge garden with thousands of deadheads looking at us, mm-hmm. thinking, oh, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so COVID really, though, once we were able to open, because we have 170 acres that we garden here at the Huntington, uh, the Huntington suddenly had a whole new audience. And even though we were restricting... You know, the amount of people coming in, we saw something like 40 to 50 percent first timers, Mm -hmm. a lot more young families with children and a much broader diversity of people. All, All three things very good for the Huntington.
1: Absolutely. Um, the statistics of people who turned to gardening while they yep. were at home or the interest that was peaked um, during that time that people were um, more alone is just amazing. Yes. I mean, gardeners, I was getting questions from people of all ages. I mean, it changed things for sure.
2: Definitely. I, I think it saved the nursery industry.
1: I mean, if things are flying off the shelf here still, you know, yes. what, three yeah. years later, I mean, you yeah. if you want something, you have to buy it because it's going to be gone.
2: We just had our first uh, large in person uh, plant sale. Normally we have two large sales a year, fall and spring. And we could not, of course, reenact those until things are much safer. Mm-hmm. And even though we restricted, uh, the numbers, the sale went on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and we brought in $219,000.
1: Oh, my goodness.
2: And the roses were flying out the door.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, the The whole area there is just very family friendly. There's places yes. to picnic and eat and things to see. I even remember the cute sign I had my picture made in front of. That. It was a great big sign that someone, I think, officially used to stand there and say, ask me about roses. I loved that. I mean, it was just had that vibe, you know, that you're here, you're part of us. So come in Mm -hmm. and enjoy. It's just a very warm, it's a gorgeous place, but it's just very warm.
2: I mean, there are so many things to see here. Uh, Our Chinese garden uh, opened its last expansion during COVID Mm -hmm. and we're now the largest Chinese garden outside of China. Wow, It's magnificent work. Uh, the Japanese garden right now is over 100 years old, uh, but we are currently resurrecting or reconstructing a 320-year-old magistrate's house from Japan oh my on the property.
1: Amazing. You know, your weather is just made for roses. I think yes. you could probably plant a lilac bush and it would, it would grow roses. I've just never seen anything like it. You know, here in the Midwest, we baby them and we protect yeah. them in the winter. And,
2: <laughs> we're you, know. you know, really, um, the Mediterranean climate that we have make rose growing easy. And in fact, we were no spray garden until 2014 uh, when chili thrips hit us yeah. for the first time. But uh, I still allow mildew and black spot to make its way through the garden because it's a very brief occurrence here mm-hmm. because of our climate.
1: Oh yeah, it's just a, just perfect, and the roses are huge and luscious and and wonderful. So, now that we're talking about roses, I want to move a little bit to your work as a hybridizer because you have brought us so many roses yourself. So, I'm wondering when you started all those years ago, hybridizing roses. What was your goal?
2: Really, my my overall goal was to make the rose more stronger. I mean, I was tired of it being considered a a fussy queen in the garden that required (laughs) such special care. You know, it should be vigorous and clean and productive and visually beautiful and fragrant. Um, So, floriferousness was a big factor. Fragrance was a big factor. Pleasing color uh, all the way through the life of the flower. I'm not fond of roses that turn to a nasty color and refuse to drop off the plant naturally. <laughs> uh, I'm not fond of roses that turn into octopuses and, and try to grab people as they walk by. Uh, but it was really an inspiration from Herb Schwimm and Sam McGrady and Jack Christensen, who were some of my mentors, to, to think big, to consider the foliage and the shape of the plant just as important as the beauty of the flower. And hopefully, bring along fragrance along the way.
1: Well, how many roses have you hybridized and brought to market?
2: Well, my actual list right now is one hundred and fifty-two. My goodness! Some of those were just one or two-year promotional roses, you know, so they weren't long-term introductions. But my name is still on them. <laughs> I'm over a hundred patents now.
1: Wow, impressive! Now, most people will recognize. Um, one of the everyone's most favorite yellow roses. And it's your release of Julia Child.
2: Yes. Yeah. No doubt that will probably be be the best of my career.
1: I love that picture I've seen of you before. You're right in the middle of all the Julia Child. Yes. It's my favorite picture. (laughs) (laughs) That rose is just so gorgeous, but there's so many of them. Moonstone. Oh my goodness. Marilyn Monroe love song. I mean, there's so many. What are some others?
2: Oh, I think I'm really proud of 4th of July as well as an All-America winner. It was so novel, and it was exactly what I was looking for in that cross, which is unusual. And I still have varieties coming forward. I think my last varieties will be coming out in 2024 or thereabouts.
1: My goodness. So it takes about 10 years to bring a rose to market, I've heard. Is that true?
2: That's true. At least 10 years.
1: Wow, and so you've been gone from weeks now for ten years. years.
2: that's so, right. Oh,
1: you know, it's going to work out, isn't it?
2: The hard part <laughs> is when you're just starting up and you're trying to convince the accountants. It'll be ten years before we have right.
1: income. <laughs> no one likes those numbers.
2: <laughs> but after you after you retire, it looks like you're working, but you're not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, talk a little bit about Huntington One Hundredth Rose.
2: Oh, that, that has been such a joy to everyone here at the Huntington. Our centennial year was coming up in 2019. And uh, this, is, this is, represents the centennial of when the Huntington family actually chartered the garden in 1919. And I visited uh, Christian, who's now in charge of a week's uh, mm-hmm. research. I brought my crew up for a field trip to see the seedling fields. And we spotted this one rose that was in a slightly larger quantity. And it really struck me. That I still have my original field photo, in fact, uh, because of the color and then just the overwhelming fragrance. It was it was in the air. You didn't have to stick your nose in it. It was right there. And lo and behold, it was going it was destined to be a 2019 introduction. So I knew they wouldn't let us buy the variety from them, but we negotiated an unusual, unusual agreement for the rose industry. We actually bought the naming rights of the variety, Ooh. and we named it Huntington's Hundredth for our centennial. And uh, we did a lot of stuff for our centennial, including this rose. And the rose is the spaghetti that stuck to the wall. Wow! Uh, it's The thing, people still ask for it. I mean, it's wiped out in our sales each year. It's also sold under the name Life of the Party, but you'll notice both names listed on any identification of the plant as well.
1: I didn't know that. Um, Now, every picture you see, is just a mass of blooms.
2: Yes, it blooms so heavily. And they're not large flowers, but they're in clusters. And they change color. They open a a pastel yellow and then blush to like an orchid pink coloration. They're not a long-lived flower, that's the downside. You know, I, I don't want to breed a perfect rose because then I'd be out of a job. <laughs> um, so I, I could wish the flowers lasted longer than they did, but they, they drop away clean from the plant. It, it has a very tidy habit. A lot of these things I told you I was looking for in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, it clothes itself well with foliage. It's a nice foliage to flower contrast, a nice aging color. And the fragrance is just killer. It's intense lemon blossom and rose.
1: Going to have to put that one on my list for sure. Yeah. But one of your newer ones that I'm just crazy about it that is in my garden is easy on the eyes.
2: Yes. Isn't that a neat little thing? Oh,
1: I love it so much. I have it on my desk right now. I Do mean it's you? absolutely. It's just there's so much to love about this rose. The coloring, the fragrance. It's the healthiest, one of the healthiest roses I've probably ever had.
2: Very healthy. Very it's so
1: and it's just a nice shape. I mean, it's 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 all the things.
2: I love the transition of colors too, because it opens pink with a, a sort of maroon eye, and then fades to white with a purple eye eventually. It's and it's all in the stunning. same cluster. And it, when it's yeah. in a flower, it it almost looks more like a perhaps a hydrangea or something rather than a rose, it's as great. far as you can figure out.
1: Uh, it's it's just stunning. I love it. I love
2: it. And see, I owe that to its, its a seed parent, Sweet Chariot, from Ralph Moore. Oh. Uh, Sweet Chariot was a very interesting bloodline from Ralph because Ralph did some broad-spectrum crosses. And believe me, trying to emasculate those itty-bitty flowers in the greenhouse was a pain. But when they set seed, there wasn't a lot of seed, but they would germinate. And they've given me some really good varieties over time. So sweet. I'm really proud of easy on the eyes, though. I think
1: it's-, it's a beauty. It's a beauty. And two of your newer ones, Perfume Factory and Golden Opportunity. Yes. Tell us a little bit about those. They're yeah. stunning.
2: Perfume Factory is just a great plant because a lot of the original lavenders were weak plants, uh, i.e. sterling silver, which everybody still asks about when they visit the garden. Uh, but this is a good, sturdy plant. It's in the magenta-purple range. It's a heavy bloomer. Uh, we put it here in the garden, very close to the information table, and it gets a lot of attention from the public. I, I love the name that they chose for it. I think it's mm-hmm. a great name. It goes through a transition of different lavender colors, but they're all very pleasing. It's a good size flower. Uh, it blooms prolifically and, and grows very sturdily. So it's, I think it's, it's going to be a good seller for them.
1: Yeah, it's a beauty, and it is so fragrant.
2: Now, Golden Opportunity, um, one of my goals of many was to breed a good yellow climber. And I never quite got there with the yellow factor, but this is more of an apricot color, a golden apricot Mm -hmm. color. And it's very large flowers and super vigorous with glossy green foliage. Uh, it's, It's shown itself well as a good performer in different parts of the country. In fact, it just picked up an award in the Barcelona trials. And I love the flower size. The finished color is good. Of course, Julia Child is behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not not directly, but she's in there. And uh, Julia actually was, when I made the cross that produced Julia, I was shooting for a yellow climber. And it had climbing bloodlines on both sides, but I got this little bitty round (laughs) floorbund out of it. Now, am I complaining? No.
1: (laughs) I think not.
2: No. Uh, You'll take what you get with it. But I've always thought it would be a good parent, you know, to, to bring back into the climber work again. And it's proven itself a golden opportunity.
1: Well, if I can find a place for another climber, which I'm not sure I can, right. that's on the list. I mean, it's been really hard not to bring it in, but it is going to be a big one. And so I do need to have a pre-arranged space for
2: it. I think you'll like it.
1: <laughs> I think I will, too. It's a beauty. So, and you have your last seedling coming forward in 2024. So how does
2: yes. that feel? Uh, You know, it's 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 bittersweet Mm -hmm. because it it does mean things are wrapping up, but I'm not, I think I've had a super fortunate career in so many ways and to be around in the Rose industry when it was still very vibrant and exciting. uh, I have all sorts of tales to tell, but uh, I, I just feel satisfied And working here at the Huntington, I'm back with the people. I'm back with the plants. I'm learning things every day. I have wonderful cultural experiences just around the corner. Uh, It's a phenomenal place to be. I don't get on the freeway. I don't (laughs) work 40 hours. It's not bad.
1: (laughs) It sounds ideal. It is a beautiful part of the country. It is just beautiful there. Yeah. You're in a good, good place. And you've given us so many beautiful roses, and we appreciate that so much.
2: Well, thank you, Teresa.
1: Well, Tom, of all those roses that we've talked about, do you have a favorite?
2: I can't pick my favorite child.
1: (laughs) I know. It is hard.
2: Then all the others would feel bad. That's true. That's true. So I tell people, because I get this question frequently in the garden, I tell people it changes every day. And it does. It, I just kind of look over and see what's pretty for the day.
1: It's so true. Um, you know, I get that question as well. Uh, most of us that that grow a lot of roses do. And and you mentioned that you were learning new things every day. And, you know, the garden teaches us something new every day. Oh,
2: yes. Oh, it's, yes.
1: I mean, I'm learning. You know, I've been in the same garden for all of these years. And, I, you know, it's teaching me new things all the time. And the you're roses never going
2: to know it all.
1: No, and the roses still speak to me. I mean, yeah. I think, okay, you know, I've done, you know, I've seen this bloom. Before. Oh, every mm-hmm. time they bloom, <laughs> yeah. it just knocks my socks off.
2: Yeah, we're so fortunate yeah. to have that passion for this beautiful flower.
1: Yes, we are. Well, Tom, what a pleasure it's been to catch up with you and hear oh, all that's going on. Yeah. And um, I'm so glad you're in one of the most beautiful gardens in the world. I know your touch will make it even more so.
2: Time for you to come back and visit.
1: I know it sure is. I can't wait.
2: Thanks, thanks, Teresa.
1: Friends, thanks for joining us today. And until next time, happy gardening.
0: You've been listening to the Rose Chat Podcast with Chris Van Cleve and Teresa Byington, expert rose gardeners who want to help you achieve the rose garden of your dreams. Don't miss an episode. Listen anytime on our website at rosechatpodcast.com or listen on the go via the Rose Chat app on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Share this podcast with your social networks and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using the hashtag Rose Chat. Join us next time for another edition of the Rose Chat Podcast. The Rose Chat Podcast is a production of the Rose Chat Media Group, Birmingham, Alabama.